0: Hello again, and welcome to At The Podium with Manuela Mesqua. I'm a financial advocate, a CEO, father, husband, and massive sports fan. As all of you know, I am completely obsessed with sharing the stories of some of the people who've not only dreamt their greatest life, but they've actually attacked it and achieved it. We've built this podcast to share their stories and the stories of some of the highest performers in my life to help convert those moments, those action items into lessons that can help you get as close as possible to your dreams and goals as well. Today, my guest is Detroit Pistons executive, retired NBA head coach, retired collegiate coach, NBA head coach of the year 2018, Dwayne Casey. Born in Indianapolis, raised in Kentucky. Incredible, beautiful story about the role, the influence, and the mentorship from his grandparents. Setting the tone, as Coach Beeline would say, the tone at the top. Dwayne Casey emerged as a basketball powerhouse. On the court and in the boardroom, a distinguished recruit, played at the University of Kentucky, team captain, national champion, and then went on to 20 plus incredible years of coaching at the highest level in the NBA. He shares lessons about playing with a pure heart, living with a pure heart, what it looks like to have it, that thing, it, to the simple things, which are to continue to encourage and inspire young men and women to pursue their dreams of greatness in sports and making the time for each other to say hello and continue to keep these young children inspired he's molded mentored and inspired some of the greatest athletes of all time i can't wait to share this story with you today i loved everything he shared i wish i would have had a week with him but we had 45 minutes so please enjoy Hey, I wanna give a quick shout out to my new friend, James Murphy, and his entire team. James is the CEO of Element. And look,ing if you're trying to perform at your highest level, whether it's in the locker room, in the boardroom, or at your home as a parent, I gotta tell you this element that I've been taking daily for the last several weeks, it's helping to restore health, hydration, and it's got zero, zero sugar. And look, I know I'm on Instagram from time to time. I see who their competitors are. I don't even like the marketing and promotion they're using. This is it. If you're looking to restore health, perform at your highest level and just overall feel great. Check out element, check out element. Folks. I'm, I'm so excited. I met Dwayne Casey years ago on the sideline of our daughter's lacrosse game. And I will tell you uh I have been so excited to to corner him into committing coming in today to have a conversation. And and I and I told Coach Casey, I said, hey, look, I want to unpack what life looks like from the playground to the locker room to the boardroom and just lessons learned along the way about how to be a great human being, a great advocate, and a great coach. And I've got one of the most successful coaches in professional sports, a trailblazer for so many minorities, so many people of color that, hey, hopefully someday we can coach at the highest level. And you've had the blessing and the privilege to coach three of the top organizations and the NBA coach. I'm so thankful that you're here. Well, Manny,
1: I appreciate being here. We kind of took the curve, the winding road to get here, but we made it. Uh, I'm excited to be here. And and what a, a beautiful setting with your souvenirs and your sports history that you have here in your office, but I'm just happy to be here with you
0: today. Thanks so much, Coach. And and I know we were chit-chatting a little bit. I mean, God bless Steve Jobs. May he rest in peace. You know, these <laughs> Apple these iPhones. I'm telling you they what. They either set us up for success or failure, right? You have no clue
1: how, how uh, connected you are to your phone until you lose it. I woke up, I was at a leadership conference in Palm Springs, and I, I was looking at my, all my you know, schedule for the week and saw your schedule. And I put my phone down to charge. The next morning I wake up, I kept scrolling. It wouldn't move. The home screen would not go to the next, the next screen. And so it was frozen. So my phone has been frozen since Sunday night. And I had to go on a road where I couldn't get to the iPhone store and see a game the other day and, in Chicago. And uh, so today I spent all morning at the Apple store, hoping nobody would call. And lo and behold, you called right at the time I was supposed to be here, and I knew there was something so... I was attached to my phone and didn't know it. And I totally apologize, but hopefully they're getting it fixed as we speak.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we're hopeful for that as well. Uh, I want everybody to know I was actually afraid to call Coach Casey. No, no, no. <laughs> and I have to acknowledge <laughs> that I didn't know if he was, if he knew he was late, or if we were still no, together today. No, no, no. no. Uh, yes. But no, thanks so much for picking up. And look, I mean, I think you know, look, I, I think that's a testament to, to who you are. But it reminds me of a, a a simple lesson my late father taught my brothers and I, which is, hey, you got to honor your commitments. No question. Can no you question. talk about that
1: a little bit? That's so important. All, all my years of coaching, I've always talked to players about honoring your commitment, number two, being on time. And that's why it hurt me so much today when you call. <laughs> I mean, it broke my heart as far as knowing I was supposed to be somewhere and not being able to be there. And this wasn't the only thing. I was supposed to also get a, a cortisone, cortisone shot in my knee. And so I had to get directions and find – so it's been a, a morning from you know where this morning. So, uh, But it's so important for young people to keep their commitment. Uh, your word is, is really all you have. I mean, when you come down to it, your word to someone, being honest with someone, treating people the way you want to be treated. So for every day, every year that I get rookie players – when I was coaching, that's one thing I always taught. And also too, if you see a kid, you see a fan, say hello to them. They want your autograph, don't walk away because those are the people is are the reason why we're here. Not only you as a player, but from a coaching standpoint, from an organizational standpoint, our uh, fans. And the worst, my pet peeve is to see a player walk past a child or kid that won't give his autograph And if I see it, I'll turn a player around and make him go back and and say hello to him, give his autograph, take whatever the kid wants because you never know how that breaks a kid's heart by turning him down or walking away or not being polite or acknowledging a kid. That's one of my pet peeves, not only from my players, from all the players across pro sports.
0: You know, gosh, oh my gosh, this this is going to be like, I'm going to keep you here for like a week. So many things I know I'm going to want to ask you about. But you immediately made me think of something that really matters to me, which is man, just acknowledging people. I moved here to the great state of Michigan six and a half years ago and within a week people were like, how do you know every single right. person who works in this building by name? That's I'm like, man, you, you know, we're gonna come into 32 stories of the most expensive building in Southeast Michigan. right he, It takes a lot of people to make this place so beautiful. How can I walk in here? Expect to lead and serve a business here, be the steward of a firm right. Right. that doesn't recognize the people that, that make this place special. Manny, that's why you, where you are now, when
1: you, you use the word serve, when you're in a leadership position, coaching, whatever it is, being a CEO, uh, a general, whatever it is, yes, you have to serve whoever it is, whether it's the janitor. I make it a point to make sure I get to know the janitor's name, have a conversation with them. How's your son? How's your daughter? How are they doing? Secretary, those people are the backbone of, of what you do. And so for you for not to know where they are, uh, you know, when I met Jill this morning, knew she had a had a son. I mean, just just having a conversation to get to know them other than hello, how you doing, and walking past walking past them is so important. And I take pride in like you do, everywhere I've worked, whether it's been a head coach at three different organizations, assistant coach, I've been in coaching now for 44 was in coaching for 44 years. I, I always took pride in trying to get to know everybody, get to know their names. And as I get older, it's harder to do, yes I'll be is. honest with that. But when I was younger, I took pride in knowing everyone by name, something about them, that would, and doing it from my heart, because you, you all, I always try to treat people the way I want to be treated. And I learned that from my grandfather, you know, who had a high school education. And the one thing he had was his word, and treating people the way he wanted to be treated in a little mm-hmm. small country town in Kentucky.
0: Mm-hmm. And and you were born and raised in Indianapolis, Indiana. I was born in Indianapolis. I'm sorry.
1: Oh, I was nice. born in Indianapolis, but I was grew up in Kentucky. Oh, you grew up I in Kentucky. Kentucky. Okay. And, and so and uh, grew up in a small rural town, 4,700 people, which the major industry in that town was coal mining and corn. And so uh, we were a little country town had one stoplight. Uh, my grandfather had two jobs. You know, he, he was a dry cleaner in a little uh, city called Henderson, Kentucky, and in Morganfield, Kentucky at nighttime. So he came home to eat between jobs, and that's when I spent because my grandparents raised me. And so uh, that little small town and that, that, that path as far as watching him grow, watching him work, my grandmother cleaned houses for different families there in, in Morganfield. Uh, one family was a uh, uh, go, former governor of Kentucky, Earl Clemens, hmm. which he was a former governor of the state of Kentucky. Uh, good friends with Happy Chandler, who was a baseball commissioner. He, and the, how I got to the University of Kentucky was Governor Clemens called the president of the University of Kentucky and said, uh, Otis, it was Otis Singletary was the president's name. He said, we have a boy down here in, in Morganfield that is a pretty good basketball player. You ought to send one of your assistant coaches down here to see him. And so Coach Parsons, Dick Parsons, came down to Morganfield in my high school to watch me play. And that's how I got introduced to the University of Kentucky was through Governor Earl Clemens, who my grandmother cleaned his house and I would drive. And when I got my driver's license, I would drive Governor Clemens. And uh, they did a book on him, his autobiography, I guess you call it. And the writer interviewed me, his his daughter and his family's his kids uh, uh, took note of it. So that was a special time growing up in a small town, African American kid with a former governor. So that was kind of my start of getting to network, I would say, and get mm-hmm. to know people.
0: Basketball was not. Your most dominant sport. No. Tell us that story. Well,
1: one, when I was growing up, uh, I used to listen to Harry Carey and <laughs> Jack Buck with the St. Louis Cardinals at that time in uh, St. Louis with the St. Louis Cardinals. Lou Brott, oh. uh, uh Julio Javier, Mike Shannon, uh, all those guys were, were my idols growing up. And we listened to the Clear Channel station had my little radio station. So I grew up loving baseball. I always dreamed of being a, a pro baseball player, maybe a manager. I pretended to build my own stadium in this field next to our house. So baseball was my love, and I would order the red helmets from the St. Louis mm-hmm. Cardinals. And so I grew up having a, a tremendous love because at the time, Manny, when I and I couldn't play, they, the Little League weren't integrated when I first started playing baseball. So we could only play in the playgrounds and on the streets, we're using different parts of the street as bases. And then finally, when I was like 10 or 11 years old, they integrated baseball and I could play uh, what they called Pony League at that time uh, in baseball. And then I ended up coaching in that league, in the uh, league. And uh, I, I'll never forget some of those kids are now are successful bankers and, and people, uh, lawyers. And I never forget. I would cut cut yards to make money because I told him if you win, I'll buy you a, a hamburger and a milkshake. So that's that was my motivation. We ended up winning the championship in Morganfield, and and so I grew up starting out coaching little league baseball.
0: Yeah, and I wanna I wanna point that out because obviously part of my um part of my like really extreme interest in your life story. Was grounded in the fact that I learned you were coaching at a very, very young age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not it. It's not common to be so young and to think, "Oh, I want to coach this team versus playing it." Right. How old were you when you were coaching that little league team? When I was, I was
1: probably, I was in high school. I was probably in the tenth grade and coaching. You know, eight, nine-year-olds, and you know, in the little league, getting started. So I was in high school, tenth, eleventh grade. Okay. Coaching those kids, and like I said, trying to earn my own money to to buy them milkshakes, and if a kid didn't have a uniform, try to raise money to help him buy his uniform. So the, I was a very young at that time, and and I, as I look back on it, Manny, I was probably a glorified babysitter because we mm-hmm. would practice in the morning, like mm-hmm. in the summertime, at – 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning, and practice on until after lunch. And I never forget, parents will come and pick them up. But again, we, we, I spent a lot of time with the kids. And and when I was inducted to the Kentucky Hall of Fame a couple few years ago, a lot of those kids came to the uh, induction. And it really warmed my heart more than anybody who showed up. Those kids came to the induction in Louisville, Kentucky. And I, I, I had an opportunity to introduce them to my family at the time. Wow. And so, and one young man, Tommy Lilly is a, a priest. So he was, he was able to be there. And so that, that was a beautiful thing to see that, that at that age, I was able to impact them uh, when I was a sophomore, junior in high school.
0: Thinking back to your childhood coach, who, who do you think really set the tone at the highest level for servant leadership in your life? I would say my
1: grandparents first. I would say that's where I kind of could see how they cared themselves and mm-hmm. lived their lives, helping other people without a lot of resources to do it. Uh, they would go and help the other elderly people in our community and, in a serve mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I saw them first. And then I saw my high school coach who took an interest in kids mm. uh, and, and helped kids who had with less um and doing that, a gentleman by the name of Roy McCamey he also—he was my little league uh, basketball coach. And at that time, I didn't have a pair of tennis shoes. He helped me uh, buy a pair of Red Ball Jets at the time. I never forget those. And so he was—he bought me my first uh, pair of basketball shoes. And uh, Roy went on. He was—he's down in East uh, Western Kentucky now, and uh, his daughter played tennis at the Indiana University. And I never forget writing her a letter and and seeing her. So kind of handed it down. But he he's one of the first you know kind of reached out and gave me a hand and it was kind of an example also from a coaching side uh, of being a servant.
0: When you think back to those conversations, as uh, Otis Singletary mm-hmm. sent coaches to come watch you play, and you think about the decision to go to Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Were there other schools that you had in your mind? And how did you go through the process of making a decision like that back then? I mean, those were different times. It was huge times. And, and Manny, I'm glad you brought that up
1: because at that time, it was f- before myself, it was like four or five African-American players ever to play at the University of Kentucky hmm. in basketball. And whether it was right, wrong, or different, Adolph Rupp, did not believe he, he wanted to integrate basketball. He was kind of forced to at that time. So me being the fifth or sixth, fourth, fifth or sixth, we it was three of us came in at the same time at Kentucky. That was a difficult decision because all the African American people in my community said, "Don't go to Kentucky." You know, yeah. they you know it's, yeah. they don't believe in black kids. Yeah. They don't want to have African American kids there. Uh, go to Western Kentucky, who had started at that time in 1974-75. Uh, 4 African American kids, and Rex Chapman's dad was the only white player on that team, mm-hmm. and uh, so. But again, listening to Governor Clemens, understanding the politics of the University of Kentucky, so the power of University of Kentucky, the networking mm-hmm. of the University mm-hmm. of Kentucky, uh, and somewhere somehow at that early age, I figured out this is this is the place I need to go. Not only for basketball. For future connections, future uh, networking, whatever it was, uh, it was the right decision for me going forward. And I would say I've met so many people, uh, whether it's coaching in the NBA, business opportunities in the NBA, mm-hmm. through the connections of being at the University of Kentucky, winning a championship there, uh, that has helped me throughout life.
0: Yeah, let's let's talk about that a little bit because you know I, I always think about like, hey. If I was related to this person, Mm -hmm. what would, what would like, what would bring me like tremendous joy or tremendous pain or empathy for their life? And I was thinking about if I was in your family Mm -hmm. and I want you to go off to that school at that time, Mm -hmm. because I do know that time historically through books and documentaries, you know, it's very, very out there Mm -hmm. in public. Yeah. You became captain. Right. Of of one of the best teams in college basketball, right? That, that I mean, how that that had to be so special.
1: Looking back, and you you get so busy through life, man. Coaching in the NBA and traveling, you kind of forget those things. But it was a great life lesson for me, and hopefully, I can hand it down to Zach and, and my son. Uh, I don't he he doesn't understand it right now. And it's one of those things that it's hard to even give to them through what you had to go through at that time. Yeah. You know, when I was growing up, we couldn't go in the front doors to eat at restaurants. We had to go knock on the back door, put your order in, go back and sit in your car. They would blink the lights and come and and say, hey, you know, your order's ready at this barbecue place in my county. And the irony of that is when I became assistant coach at Kentucky, the same person who whose restaurant, and again, it does it's not a reflection on that person. It's a reflection on the times. Yes, it is. You know, he called and wanted to know if he could get tickets to the University of Kentucky basketball game. and I, and I said, you know, I'm gonna call him Mr. Smith, Mr. Smith, you know, you probably don't remember this but when but I was a little boy, we had to come to your back door and order. And I just want you to know that had a big impact on my life. And he said, Dwayne, I totally apologize. I got him tickets, brought his family back to the locker room just to show him, uh, you know, that hey, there's no animosity. I understood, and to forgive him. And so those are the kind of situations going to University of Kentucky helped, you know, give me that opportunity to have my family stand up in the community and do those type of things. But that was a sign of the times at that, that time. Integration was not a big part of was not uh, there. And especially in the South, uh, we had the Ku Klux Klan come through our community when I was a little boy. So to see all that, and then continue to be able to get an, uh, an education, play at the University of Kentucky, become team captain, winning a championship at Kentucky, was was a, a blessing. And and, uh, and and luckily, my parent, my grandparents and parents were still alive to see it because they lived through that and to see the progression of of
0: life and. How things did change was a blessing. On that point, I just I I like looked at your resume and I'm like, okay, I'm done. Delete. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to remember all these things, right? Wow. I found an interesting page and I'll text it to you later. But it has like all your achievements, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, this is too much. I'm like, usually people have like six or eight, and I can memorize them. And I'm like, I'm ready to rock. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you think about what your grandparents were able to see while they were on this earth, what would you say is the most meaningful moment that you're just like, man, I'm so blessed that I got to see this?
1: You know, I get emotional when I think about it, but I think the most important thing was to see, one first to see me at the University of Kentucky, get my degree at the University of Kentucky, then become a coach at the University of Kentucky, and I think that was the the most important just because of what Kentucky is almost... I hate to say, like, what Michigan State and Michigan is to Mm -hmm. the state of Michigan Mm -hmm. and uh, how important that is. And then also to see me walk down the sideline of being a head coach with the Minnesota Timberwolves. They were still alive to be able to see that uh, accomplishment. And one thing I do regret is my grandmother, my mom, my dad, all three of them died kind of in a short period of time while I was coaching in Minnesota. And I took one day off from practice to go to a funeral and get back thinking I was missing something. I talked to Mike Malone about this. And, and it's something that you you regret not taking that time away to, to grieve. And I didn't do that. And I regret that to this day. And, I, you know, that's one lesson that I would advise anyone when you lose someone like that to make sure you take time away. There's nothing more important than that family. And I didn't do that. I was so wrapped up in being a head coach in the NBA, thinking that I was missing something on my first job, mm. uh, head coaching job, and uh, I, I regret not that because it, it it was it was a lot, and there's a lot of times I go through life thinking about that.
0: Thanks for sharing that, coach. When you when you think back to your collegiate coaching years, was there a moment or a season that specifically stands out when you said, "I can coach at the next level," right. and I know it.
1: Well, believe it or not, <laughs> man, I never thought about coaching in the NBA. I didn't. I was Now, I thought about being a head coach in college. I had a couple of interviews. Uh, one, my first interview, I'll never forget, was at Radford College, Radford University now. Uh, and my other one was University of New Orleans, oh. was my, other, my two college interviews. That was my first you know, thought of being maybe a head coach in college. And, uh, you know, we went through an NCAA investigation. It started right at the time I was, in, I'll never forget, it, in the athletic director's office at the University of New Orleans. The secretary walks in and gets a note from someone in the media saying, hey, you know, you're interviewing a guy that's, you know, being investigated for the NCAA, uh, NCAA violation. And so that was kind of the end of that at that time of that, that process. And that's when I went on to Japan. Mm -hmm. and was a head coach, semi-quasi general manager in the pro league in Japan. So that was my only introduction to being interviewed for a head coaching position was in college.
0: What do you think is the main lesson that came out of that moment in your life when you uh, found yourself in that situation? I'm assuming at that moment you're like, hey, I really want this job. Otherwise, why would you take the interview, right? It's not practice, something you're intentional Mm -hmm. about. What would you say was the big takeaway at that moment, and how did you use that as you made the transition to Japan?
1: Well, one is just being totally honest, being transparent, going through the investigation, being honest. You understand the, the politics somewhat of the NCAA sports. Mm-hmm. I learned that. I learned a lot about people, who your friends were. It didn't jade me. It didn't make me bitter. Uh, not being bitter when you go through adversity, I think that's so important. And it made me stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, how I got to Japan through that, that same year we were going through the investigation, a gentleman by the name of Mototaka Kohama, who was the chairman of Japan basketball. Best friends with Pete Newell, uh, who was a legendary Hall of Fame coach, yeah. uh, was an advisor for the Japanese league at the time. But Coach Kohama came and spent a year at the University of Kentucky. And, you know, one thing I took took him under my wings Took him around the city, took him to different restaurants, tried to teach him English. Mm-hmm. I didn't do a very good job. He taught me more <laughs> Japanese than English. Took him to my hometown in, in Western Kentucky. Now, again, just picture this now, a Japanese guy who didn't speak English in a small rural town in Western Kentucky. You know, So that was, uh, uh, it was ironic in, in yeah. a lot of respects. In that. But he sat down at our table, ate chicken, and had a big time with my family. So when I go through all this at the University of Kentucky, you know, kind of on the outside looking in, didn't know which way I was going to go. I had signed Sean Kemp at the time who had gotten drafted by the Seattle Supersonics. But in the meantime, um, I, I met Coach Kohama. He calls me, he said, Coach Casey, don't worry about that. I have a job for you in Tokyo, Japan, in the pro leagues over here. And that, inter- that friendship, He had gone back to Japan. We kind of lost contact. But how I treated him and helped him with respect and try, he turned around and returned the favor to me, gave me a lifeline uh, in the pro leagues to coach over there, work with their national team, work with Coach Newell, who was Mm kind of retiring, Mm kind of stepping back at the time. That relationship is what got me in, in Japan at that time after going through that adversity at the University of Kentucky.
0: What would you say are a couple of the things that you were able to achieve during your time coaching basketball in Japan that put you on people's radars to come back to the NBA? Because you came back, and then you just have been on fire for right. 20 years, right? Yeah.
1: Well, I, I I like to think so, Manny. But well, you have. When I, when I was in Japan, we made the world, world Games for the first time. I can't remember. It was 1990, early 90s. The Japan team made the World Games. We played it in Athens, Greece. And so that kind of elevated me a little bit, kind of got me on the world radar. I met mean, a lot of international coaches at the time. But getting the Japanese national team in the World Cup games at that time was a, a major, major accomplishment. And so I take pride in that of, as far as helping them get there. Then that's when I, a, after having my relationship with Sean Kemp, after doing that, getting back in,
0: in the, uh, to the NBA was my next step. So coach, you end up in the NBA, mm-hmm. and I think a lot about the different thought leaders that I've heard speak on like servant leadership and the tone being set at the top. Mm-hmm. I I even think of like, I had a call with Coach Beeline maybe nine months ago, mm-hmm. man, and, and I'm checking in with him and I'm tapping into him as a mentor, and I'm asking him questions about how to really lead an organization right. Through transition, he was like, Hey, the tone set at the top, the tone set at the top, the tone set at the top. That's true. What are a couple of the things that you have found yourself consistently do when you come in as the new steward and captain of an organization to set them up for success? One is having
1: the players to believe in you, and not only the players, the people, whether it's in the business office, whether it's the the president whether it's the ticket sales, whatever it is, to believe in you, to let them know I'm here to help you. I'm not someone that's going to sit up here and only coach basketball. I want to be in the, involved in the community relations. I want to be in, involved in helping sell tickets. That's one of the first things I did in Toronto. Uh, Brian Colangelo and I, it was a year of the strike. We went around to different Kiwanis club, had breakfast meetings, trying to sell tickets Uh, with the Toronto Raptors. And (laughs) believe it or not, this was a time when Toronto wasn't the Toronto you believe in. uh, see now. You know, they were having trouble selling tickets, getting tickets sold. You had to buy, to be able to get Maple Leaf tickets, you had to buy Toronto Raptor tickets. And so we went around to different groups, different cities, had breakfasts. I took more questions about when are the Raptors going to turn the corner. When they're going to do, oh, yeah. you know, doing these breakfasts to get people to renew their tickets, to buy tickets at this time. And I'm looking at Brian and saying, hey, what are we doing here? But again, it's a part of me trying to serve and help. And lo and behold, we got it turned around. We had Off. Jurassic Park, which is outside, uh, had the, the, you know, Ford back that and, uh, you know, it began to be a perennial sellout in the NBA. So. Uh, again, but it, but that was one of the first things I tried to do is be a servant to different departments, not only with the team and the players, but uh, throughout the organization.
0: When you think about the qualities or characteristics that you look for, strong team captains and teammates, right. what are the things that you're looking at that you could say, hey, I can visibly tell if someone has this or doesn't?
1: Well, one thing you look for, Manny, in a player, as far as their leadership is concerned, is if they're doing things with a pure heart. You know, talent usually sticks out, but being a great teammate, usually, you know, guys can fool you if you're not, not, not careful. But you see guys that have it. I call it having it. Uh, playing with a pure heart, being a teammate with a pure heart, helping other teammates with a pure heart. Because uh, you have some players in any sport that will eat their own, you know they these they have a you know kids they have a mortgage payment to make. Now here you have this young buck coming in, and all at once he's trying to take your job. You have some older players I've seen throughout my years in the league. They will eat their own. They will do what they have to do to maintain. So, but again, finding that leadership, those leadership qualities of players that are doing with a pure heart. And uh, I think that's one thing that I, I first I look for in whoever you designating or tapping as that leader and that captain is making sure they're doing it for the right reasons.
0: Is there somebody that you can think of in recent years that you'd say, Man, I just it was just such a privilege to spend time with this young man?
1: Well, I, I can go you can uh, give me a hundred. but I can give you but I'm gonna give you probably uh, of probably about six or seven. When I you know, start back with uh, Seattle, you know, you had Gary Payton yeah. is one guy that had it. A guy by the name of Detlef Shrimp, who was 6'9", German kid. i I'll never forget having a conversation with him about Dirk Nowitzki, who was this young guy coming from Germany. And uh, those two guys in Seattle. In Dallas, we had uh, Jason Kidd and Dirk mm-hmm. Nowitzki. Those two guys were great leaders that had it. You go to Minnesota and there's one guy, one guy only in that situation, Kevin Garnett. You know, you're talking about a guy who had all the qualities, who did it on the court, off the court. He was that leader. Uh, when I went to Toronto, a guy by the name of DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. Oh, my God. Uh, and, and i, I might have to put Jose Calderon in that pile, too, because those three guys exemplified what you wanted to have in leaders in setting the tone. Here in Detroit, uh, you know, you had Blake Griffin, who was a great leader for us in one of my first year here. Uh, and then you have uh, Cade Cunningham, you know, and, and Cade is one of those guys that is mature beyond his years. You know, even though he's in his early 20s, he yeah, he could sit out and have a conversation with the president of any country in the world because of his intellect and the way his mom and dad raised him. So he's a young man that had it. Uh, that you can just feel when he walks into the room. So uh, uh, the organization is lucky to have him as as kind of the corner piece from not only on the court but also from an it factor.
0: I really appreciate where we started today when you were speaking about some of the qualities that you believe are important, especially in today's professional athletes, and one of them being you know taking the moment to recognize the child and to say hello because that that to them. That's going to be something that most children will talk about for decades. No They'll say, "Hey, when I was six, right?" Mm-hmm. And I still think back to when my buddy Jerome Allen, who oh, Jerome. you know I know so, is someone that's yes. close to you, yes. Jerome brings Cade to a basketball practice two years ago right. when he first gets to Detroit. And Roman and Atlas were teammates, right. and and Cade stuck around for like an hour after. And he's taking pictures with every single human being that lined up. And I'm like, it's an off day. This guy's been working his tail off proving he can play at this level. He's only here because he obviously respects Jerome a lot, which no surprise that That people would respect Jerome, but he's here for that. And he invested an extra hour after like already being there two hours right. to take pictures, and it's just a reflection of that. The comment you made, which is the difference between the ones that have it and really lead and live with the pure heart.
1: Right. And what you just identified with Kate, Maddie, is who he is. That that wasn't fake, and like yeah, you said right it was the respect he had from from I call him Pooh, Jerome, and and that. But again, that's who Kate is, and so that. But that's what you're looking for. Uh, in, a, in a leader, not only on the court, because it, it will speak for itself as the talent, but what is he doing off the floor, in the locker room, with younger kids, with fans, mm-hmm. uh, back home in his community, doing all the things, donating to a school back mm-hmm. in his hometown, donating to schools here in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, same thing with DeMar DeRozan, donating oh. to schools in in Toronto, in Kyle Lowry. So those are the things you look for for guys that are giving back. Not only in their words, but with resources, uh, helping less fortunate. That to me warms my heart as much as anything else, uh, seeing a player grow and and, and providing those uh,
0: you know, those things to the community. Are you okay if we pivot to talk about what's exciting in Detroit now? Yes, yeah, no question. I mean I you know, I, I got here like a minute before you did. Uh, yeah. Right, six years ago. And I've, you know, I've really been excited about not only what the city's doing, but what all of Detroit sports are doing right now. Yeah. I mean, what a beautiful time to be in Detroit and love competitive sports, right? No question. And my next door neighbor is Dan Campbell. Oh, I know. So to see (laughs) him
1: (laughs) go from what it was two and whatever to where he is now. And, you know, we haven't turned that corner on the basketball side, but my first year we made the playoffs. We pivoted yes. and started to rebuild, and and it's coming. You, we don't see it right now, but Troy's done a great job. Tom Gore's has done a great job. Oh yeah, we've got yes. resources, but it's there, and it's it's hard to see right now. But the foundation is being laid, you know. And people don't celebrate pouring concrete. They don't celebrate that part. They celebrate when you get the fancy curtains and the nice furniture and all that. But right now we're st- we're still pouring concrete. It's getting hard. Uh, But again, like you said, football has turned the corner. Baseball, it's on its way. Hockey has turned the corner. Yes, it has. And so it's really, really a good time for the sports fans uh, here in uh, in Detroit.
0: I I love the analogy of pouring concrete, right? I think we're finishing up with the concrete, though, right? What are a couple of the things that you see Mm -hmm. being so intimate in the sport that you would say, hey, gang, when you're watching, these are the things that you want to know are happening to give you confidence for the future. Right.
1: Well, one is the defense. You know,
0: Mottie's done a great job
1: of establishing the defensive mentality. I did not – we did not do that when I was – we were so worried about trying to manufacture points, you know, and and we so we didn't do a good job defensively with our team. But Mottie's come in and done a great job – of establishing that mentality, I think we're 16th, the middle of the pack now. Yes, from toward the bottom yeah. with a young team, which is hard to do. And right now, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I should probably shouldn't say this, but the league probably doesn't respect our young players yet. That's why they get some of the ticky tack fouls. We got to stop. You know, that's you, you want, until they show the league that they they are going to do it each and every night. They they will get the respect of the officials. But Monty's done a great job of establishing that. So watch the defense, the growth of the defense. The offense is going to come. We got to, you know, the defense will, will carry us uh, as long as we don't turn the ball over. And I think that's the next phase that we, we got to get better at. And Monty's made a comment, and I agree that, you know, being young is not a not an excuse to throw the ball away and turn it over. You know, you're that's working right. a behinds off defensively, establish yourself defensively, laying it on the line defensively. Now let's take care of the ball and get a good shot.
0: I love the excitement that everybody has about the drafts, right? I mean, they throw these huge parties and it's like, oh, it's draft night. We got, you know, one of the top five drafts or picks in the draft, right? And I and I think that's exciting. It is. But it is. but But this the game is a game of chess yes. and sophistication right. and complexity. Right. right. Who would you say? in the last three years, has been one of the additions to the roster that you like, that was strategy, that was deep thinking, that was a ton of film, that was a ton of following up to see who this player is, and we're so blessed to have him on the roster. I
1: right would now. say you have to have two. I would say first one would be a Stuart Thompson. Uh, oh, for who he's going to be, man. what he is to this team, already, to the league already as a young kid. Is unbelievable, and that took a lot of strategy on, on Troy's part. A lot of film watching, studying, not showing his hand of who that person would be, because everybody was so caught up on Wimbenyama and, and all that stuff. But Troy had a vision of who he wanted. He added a not a good defensive player, a great defensive player on a team that really, you know, was was that needed it. Yes, sir. And the other one is is uh, Sasser. Sasser is another young man that's going to be a heck of a uh, addition to the team to have the foresight of, of getting him at 25, you know and and taking it taking that chance because everybody oh why are they taking him at 20 25? But Troy had an idea. He had a vision. so that was a that was playing chess on his part. And as you can see, both those young men are having an impact on the league. yes, right now defensively. The offense is going to come, but defensively, You have to put them in a conversation of two of the better defenders right now in our league.
0: You look back at the last 40 years in basketball, where have you drawn inspiration from? I would say
1: seeing what players can become, not only as basketball players, Manny, but as people. I see young men come in the league, uh, snotty nose, wet behind the ears, teaching them how to run a pick and roll, how to defend a pick and roll go on to become great fathers. Yeah. To me, uh, you know, watching them come in, where they've come from, get that first contract, get that second contract, help their team win, and then become good family men, to me that that checks a box for me. And, uh, and for the years I've come in, I can give you hundreds of examples of that. And to see them and see where the league has come, Word about marijuana. Word about guys out doing the wrong things, and how now guys you can look easily for role models throughout the league. Yes, sir. I, I credit David Stern and Adam Silver for establishing that. I'll never forget the meetings. I was a head coach in Minnesota. I think it was when David Stern was going to put in the dress code. You know, no longer are the guys going to come in the on the bench with holes in his jeans and and gold chains down, five, fifteen gold chains. Nothing wrong with gold chains, but it got out of hand. And so he wanted to set the tone. And you're talking about starting at the top. He started at the top. I'll never forget Pat Riley was in the room. Greg Popovich was in the room. He came in and read us the ride act. I'm a starting nosed rookie coach. Hey, this is this is the way we're going to carry ourselves as a league. And he put his foot down and established the dress code, how old we were going to be. Everybody fought it. But I think looking back, it really set the tone about the image of the
0: our league and the brand that we've established as a league for the NBA. And I'm only gonna I'm gonna divert only because you mentioned his name. But right. being from Chicago and Northwest Indiana, I mean, Pop is the Pop is life when it comes yes. to basketball. Yes. You know, we're like so privileged to say he's from Northwest Indiana. People and probably don't know that. I know from yeah. Garrett, and Gary, like, yes. yes. it. and it's like people don't even realize it. It's like I claim it everywhere I go, That's good. right? How do how do other coaches look at a coach like that? He's been such a force. Out of respect,
1: total respect for what he's done. I never forget he was a college coach at the University of Kansas working for Larry Brown. Yes, he was. He comes into San Antonio, takes over, runs the show, establishes a, a culture with San Antonio that everyone in the league was envious. I never forget shoot-arounds. Now, all at once, we all as coaches had to have shoot-arounds because San Antonio was doing it. Then he tricked us. Then he stopped having shoot-arounds. And so, dang, how are they so well-rested? Well, they stopped having shoot-arounds. So, Pop was always ahead of the curve. Load management, I don't think he calls it load management. He, you know, just being smart. Uh, wow. Resting players. Yes. Resting Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, oh, and those guys. And I would say probably the best over my years as far as – recognizing playing chess with draft picks, getting Ginobili. I know Ooh. we brought Tony Parker into Seattle like three times. Howard Schultz was the owner of the team at that time. He fell in love with Tony Parker. And uh, we should have listened to him, but we thought he was a rookie owner, th- thinking that he didn't know talent. Well, guess what? He recognized Tony Parker right off the bat. And he told Tony, he said, I don't know whether to draft you or to, to, to uh, adopt you. And I told Tony, take the adoption. But uh, so Howard goes on and builds Starbucks. And, but uh, he recognized Tony, and but so did San Antonio. We ended up taking Rod- Vladimir Rodbatovich. Yeah, I think it was a 12th or 13th pick. And Tony goes at 29th or somewhere down the road. Now he's a Hall of Famer. So I would say popping those guys in San Antonio did a great job of identifying players that fit their culture. And fit who they wanted to be as a team, mm-hmm. uh, no matter what the projected draft pick was going to be. That a lot of scouts had uh, players for.
0: I asked you for permission at the beginning to see if there was anything that was off the table. You kind of said, "Hey, no, you know anything? It's all open, right?" right. Yes. It is. And I and I appreciate that. That's a gift. Right. If I'm sitting here with Brenda right now, <laughs> how would Brenda describe you as a coach? As a business partner to these billion-dollar organizations and owners, mm-hmm. and as a mentor and steward of these mm-hmm. young men, that is a great question, Manny. I
1: and think Brent,
0: Brenda's I think his I think wife, folks. If you don't know intimately yet, right. well,
1: I would say, I would say she would say, um, he's a hard. He's given everything he has to that organization. Uh, he's being honest with with the owners. He's being honest with who he's working with. He's doing what's best for them. A lot of times, overlooking what's best for myself and the family. She would, that would be first. Because one thing that I've learned a long time once, if you give and give with a pure heart, it usually, you may hit a couple of bumps in the road, but in the long run, it comes back. And I've tried to my, to best of my ability, man, to give probably from what they would call an old school way, honest way. Uh, respect for the game, respect for the organization, respect for the family, building an organization, a team, and, and uh, doing it the right way. Sometimes at the detriment of myself, but uh, sh- that's what she would say. That I would I, that I did give everything, uh, countless hours, probably missed a lot of family events. Uh, my son's growing up, and that's why you know stepping kind of away from coaching now, yeah. and stepping into. A front office, a more of a support role now. Uh, at this time of my life, my kids' time of life is is important because I did miss a lot of uh, first, a lot of first basketball games, lacrosse games, whatever it was. I probably missed a lot of them. Not proud of it, but uh, you know, from coaching, if you put a lot of time in coaching, you miss that. And so, but she she would say that I I did it out of trying to to build a championship culture and championship team. Mm
0: -hmm. And I appreciate you allowing me to ask that. And I appreciate you saying that. I think I've had the, the blessing to, to visit with a lot of very successful people in business and sports. And, you know, Samantha and I talk about that all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like there's seasons for everything. Mm -hmm. And in some seasons there's sacrifices that in other seasons won't be the same. And I will say, Mm -hmm. I see you more at the school. And I have season tickets right, yeah. <laughs> that I see you at games. Right, right. And so that that's a testament too, right? We're our we're our toughest critics. Right, that's true. Right? right exactly. So, uh, and obviously being having had the privilege to, to be around your children, mm-hmm. you're raising class A plus human beings and, and that that speaks for everything. And I'm sure that goes to the CEO at your home, Brenda. Right.
1: You, you exactly you hit that on the head. Yeah. And Samantha would say the same thing that you yeah. have. And that's one thing that you you're know, in a leadership position. If we didn't have the support at home, uh, you couldn't get it done yeah aces. I don't care I don't care who who it is whether it's baseball, football uh, and I've been around like you said, a lot of successful coaches, mm-hmm. CEOs yeah. owners mm-hmm. owners and and behind each owner of every team I've worked with has been a, a strong uh, CEO at home.
0: Yes no that's beautiful. Coach, before we go, you're thinking, Next week, next month, next year, next decade. Oh my goodness. What are you you doing this next week that's really important to you? Well, this week.
1: This coming week, the most important thing that I'm doing is spending Thanksgiving with my family. That's the most important uh, thing this next coming week. The week after that is getting back and trying to find the best, probably talent, personnel, whatever it is, to add to, to help our organization Get to the next step, whether it's uh, going to another NBA game, which I'm also going to, to seeing different trade prospects yep. or, or draft pros, uh, prospects. So the week, the second week is I'm back on into the grind on that. Uh, What's I, the
0: focus for the next year?
1: The next year would be also doing the same thing as this year goes on, contributing and adding value in any way possible, whether it's a, a tap on the shoulder to Troy to Tom, to my, Monty, coaching staff, whatever is needed for me to do in the next year. Uh, the next decade is to continue to help pull somebody behind me up, whether it's another young coach, another young head coach. And that's something I'm doing now is identifying and trying to help young assistant coaches in the NBA or in any sport. I've met a, a, another, uh, one of the young football coaches uh, at a high school here that when you know, talked about how to get to the next step. So that's my hopefully I can leave that legacy from coaching to dancing, how to get there to young coaches. I met a young man in our front office last night talking about how to move forward in pro sports. And uh, so those are, are energizing, uh, uh, effective conversations for me is trying to help and pull along people
0: behind me. Final closing comments to the young men and women like Zachary and Atlas. Mm-hmm. I think of kids like Roman Allen, Ethan Bray, Jack Human, all these incredible young men that are playing at Country Day. Mm-hmm. What's the advice you're giving to these young men and women about sports, about school, about life? One, first of all, do your schoolwork. Because
1: if you don't do your schoolwork, and I know it's old-fashioned, but excel, be the MVP in the classroom first. You know, be nice to teachers, be respectful, because if you don't do that, you won't get on the court. And a lot of it, it took me. I, I was a hardhead knucklehead coming through school. And, you know, but again, as you get older, you get smarter. Uh, that would be my first bit of advice. Yeah. And then be a, a, a consistent learner. Read, do your history on sports, uh, you know, continue to try to grow and get better. That's I even tell NBA there's not a day that goes by that you shouldn't do something to, one, be a student of the game, work at your craft, whether it's on the court, eating right, sleeping right. All those little details are so important. And I know it sounds trite and trivial, but the details of, of being a professional player being a high school player, junior high player are so important, whether it's getting you rest, doing your schoolwork. Being the first in to practice, being the last one to leave, yes sir, no sir, yes yeah. ma'am, no ma'am. Those things add up, and being that consummate athlete, brother, sister, son, daughter, uh, in 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 today's society,
0: Coach, it's been an absolute gift to be with you. Just a real privilege. Obviously, I've been able to get to know Brenda mm-hmm. and your two children a little bit from afar, but um, it's been a real gift and. You know you're a gift to Detroit. I'm so glad that I got here a second before you, and that I, we, our time here could overlap. Appreciate and that. you know I'm excited for what you're doing this next week, next month, next year, and next decade. Thank you. And Steve. I hope to be close by.
1: Thank you. That's a that, uh, it's a pleasure being here, Manny. I wish I'd have been here sooner, but uh, It's again, beautiful. It is the Apple at uh, the Apple Company is is our enemy right now. But no, poor, Steve I know, no, poor Steve Jobs. I know. Poor Steve Jobs. Yeah. But no, it's been a pleasure. I truly appreciate it. And look, hopefully we can do it again. Thanks, coach. Go Pistons. Thank you. Yes, go Pistons.
0: Thanks so much for listening. And thanks to our guest today, Coach Dwayne Casey. I don't know where you find Coach Dwayne Casey, except in Google and Wikipedia. But hey, you can follow him there. Follow this incredible story. I found a website dedicated to his achievements. So even though I don't know if Coach Casey has an Instagram handle, Follow him online. His story is incredible. And look, if you like what you heard today, please be sure to follow, rate, and review at the podium on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows and podcasts. You can follow the show on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. It's at podium underscore podcast. Post about the show on social media. Tag us. We'd love to repost and share our gratitude with our listeners and our podcast community. And as my son says, hey, friend to friend is the best way to grow it. So come on, podcast family. Share the story of the show. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Hey, gang, I want to send a special shout out to my friend Jennifer Maxwell. You may know that name. Jennifer and Brian were the creators, founders of the power bar and so for people my age 45 plus or minus 10 gang we know the power bar well guess what jennifer has now launched a new bar it's incredible my entire family loves it samantha ava atlas they've got vegan gluten-free options it's completely organic and it's called jam bar i know they use this language in describing it but i completely agree this thing is a complete labor of love and an instrument of spreading positivity, starting in your tummy. If you wanna stay healthy, you wanna put something in your belly that makes a ton of sense, organic, vegan, gluten-free options, check out Jambar. Jennifer crushed it with this product and we wish them a ton of success.